0: If you all would, let's stand together. We're going to read God's word. Um, If you would stand with me, we're going to be in Luke, Luke chapter 11 this morning. Excuse me, Luke chapter 11. We're going to begin in verse one and we're going to read through verse 13. It says, he was praying in a certain place and when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples. He said to them, Whenever you pray, say, Father, your name be honored as holy, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we, all, we ourselves also forgive everyone in debt to us, and do not bring us into temptation. He also said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread because... ...because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me... ...and I don't have anything to offer him. Then he will answer from inside and say... ...and say, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I have gone to bed. I can't get up to give you anything. I tell you, even though he won't get up and give him anything... ...because he is a friend... ...yet because of his friend's shameless boldness... ...he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask... And it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks the door will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if he, if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you, then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Thank God for His Word, and you may be seated. Let's pray before we dive into God's Word. Father, I thank You for this time. I thank You for this Word. Lord, I thank You for prayer. Lord, what an awesome gift you have given us to be able to approach your throne of grace, as it says in Hebrews. Lord, I am so thankful that we can approach you, that you've made a way for us. And that is through Jesus, the ultimate and the perfect high priest. God, as we come to this word this morning, I pray that you would ground us, that we would be driven deeper and deeper into prayer, that we would long to pray as Jesus prayed. God, I pray that you would teach us how to do that. Father, I don't want to just go through the motions this morning and move along our way, but instead I pray that you would change us, that we would see prayer for what it is. It's communication, it's communion, actual fellowship with the God of the universe. God, I pray that we would see that today and that it would change the way that we view prayer and that that would change our lives. So, Father, drive us into your word as you drive us forward. and We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, so um, this week, this week we get to uh, talk about being rooted in prayer, rooted in prayer. And if you remember the analogy that was set up last week, I like this tree analogy um, with, with what's up above uh, being where, what we want to be seen as, how we want to be viewed. Um, that's, that's what we want to become. We want to be this tree that's up above. But if you remember, that's only a portion of the tree. Um, and we talked about the, the upper part of the tree last week. We talked about what we want to become. And uh, last week, we talked about our, our vision. If you remember, it was our our vision to be a body of believers who proclaim Christ, empowering all people to become mature followers of Christ by the wisdom of the scriptures and the power of the Holy Spirit. So then the natural question becomes, how do we do that? How are we actually going to make that a reality? How are we going to become that kind of body of believers? How do we do it? And we get to our first root this week, Okay. So, and that's what we're going to do over the next five weeks. Actually, um, it's six weeks because I've got a detour scheduled in the middle there, but uh, we're going to be looking at five different parts to this root system. And that's the way I want this to be viewed. Like we have the tree up above, all the leafy branches and everything, but then we have these roots that are going to drive us deeper and deeper. And that's where we get our nourishment. That's where we're actually drawing on so that we can grow into the body that we want to be. So, I want us to view these as a root system that are being driven deeper and deeper into the ground that are growing bigger and stronger as we go um, Because I don't want this just to be a, a routine or a, things that we go through, the boxes that we have to check. Um, one preacher said it this way. He said, these are not a list of things to do, but disciplines to be ingrained in who we are. They should become a part of our identity. So over the next five weeks, we're going to be looking at, looking at these five different disciplines that, that need to be ingrained in who we are, like become a part of our identity. So these are the roots of our tree. But if one of the roots isn't functioning properly, what happens to the tree? It's not as strong as it could be, right? Or if it has a shallow root system, what happens to that tree? Um, about a year ago, well, almost a year ago now, we, we went to Minnesota like we do every year, and there was a big storm that came through the area that we were staying in, and the winds were crazy. And in the middle of the night, you could hear the, the thunder crashing and you could hear the winds howling, but then about, I don't know, one or two in the morning, you start hearing trees snapping. And it was, it was scary. It was scary. You wake up in the middle of the night, you hear these trees snapping. We got out in the morning, and there were trees that had completely blown over roots sticking up in the ground, or up in the air, out of the ground. It was, it was wild. I mean, I've seen trees that have been knocked over before, but not like this. This wind just took them out of the ground. And what would have happened had that tree had a deeper root system? It's that much harder to knock over. So that's what we want. We want to be driven deeper into these disciplines so that we become stronger. So that's what we're going to look at over the next few weeks. We're going to be looking at these roots so that we can make sure the whole body, the entire tree, thrives. So that we become stronger, so that we can grow taller into what we want to become. And this week, this week we're going to talk about prayer. Talk about prayer this week. Now... I want to give a couple disclaimers, much like I did last week, and that is that I cannot give a comprehensive view of prayer in the time that we have together this morning. There is no way that's going to happen. Um, First of all, I'm not that smart. Second of all, there have literally been volumes of books that have been written on prayer. I cannot give you a comprehensive view of prayer, which means... It's y'all are going to have to practice this on your own. You're going to have to study this on your own. You're going to have to grow in this all on your own. Um, And I would encourage you to do that. Y'all got a copy of God's Word. You can read it. You can study it. You can dive into what what the Bible says about prayer. What do we do with prayer? But what I wanted to do, instead of trying to give a comprehensive view of prayer this morning, what I wanted to do is dial in on one teaching of prayer. Okay, so please do the study on your own. But I want to dial in on one teaching about prayer. And I thought about prayer passages and my mind went all over the place. But of course, if you're going to talk about prayer, how can you talk about prayer without talking about the Lord's prayer? Right. This is you can call it the Lord's prayer. It's actually the disciples prayer that the Lord is teaching them to pray. Um, Jesus would later pray himself. But we find the Lord's prayer that we many of us know. Now, most of you probably have the Lord's prayer memorized. Many of you know it word for word. And you probably have Matthew's account memorized better than you do Luke's account. But we find this prayer that Jesus teaches his disciples. So my goal, my goal today is to show you how you can have the prayer life that Jesus had. You can pray like Jesus prayed. I think it's possible. Jesus sets out to teach his disciples to pray like he prayed. So how do we do that? Hopefully we can get close to what Jesus did. So the way I want to do this today is to show you four different parts to prayer, okay? Because whenever we start talking about prayer, we start asking different questions like, okay, what is prayer? What does prayer really express? What does prayer require? What does prayer really do? Right? Y'all ever ask those questions? Well, hopefully we can address some of those questions today. That's going to be my goal as we look at these four parts to prayer, And the first part that we find in today's text, here in Luke chapter 11, is a prayer. Prayer is, what is it? It is a faithful imitation of Jesus in which we personally interact with the Father. Now, that's a mouthful, so I'm going to say it again. Prayer is a faithful imitation of Jesus in which we personally interact with the Father. Or you could say we personally interact with God. And that's what we find right away. Jesus, Jesus was practicing prayer. Verse 1 of Luke 11, it says he was praying in a certain place. Jesus was practicing. He was doing it. I set out to count how many times Jesus prayed in the the gospel accounts. I didn't actually go count myself. I cheated and used the Google machine. Um, How many times did Jesus pray in the gospels? And it depends on who you ask, apparently. Some of them will say 23 or 24. You get accounts of Jesus actually praying. Some of them will say 50 or more. So it depends on how you're counting, I suppose. But what we know is that there are at least dozens, at least a couple dozen times Jesus is found praying in the Gospels. Jesus clearly thought prayer was important. Now, we can get hung up on, well, when is the right time to pray? Y'all ever ask that? How do we pray? When do we pray? Should we pray before every meal? Should you have a prayer time in the morning? Should it be in the evening? When should you do it? And the answer is yes. The answer is Yes. Because we find Jesus, the Bible is clear, he prayed in the morning. Mark chapter 1, verse 35, it says, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up, went out, and made his way to a deserted place, and there he was praying. He prayed in the evening, Luke six twelve. During those days, he went out to the mountain to pray and spent all night in prayer to God. Those are just a couple of examples, and we could go on and on and on. Jesus prayed before meals, he prayed before big events, he prayed thanks to God for his provision, and it goes on and on and on. Jesus prayed, he was a man of prayer, always in prayer. So, Jesus was our example of how we could actually pray without ceasing. And it was enough prayer, enough prayer that his disciples took notice. His disciples noticed that this thing called prayer was significant to Jesus. They they go to him, and they ask him in the second part of verse 1 there. They say, teach us how to pray. No, I'm sorry. They say, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. And what's funny is, is I actually did that as I was writing my notes this week, and I was diagramming this passage. I did exactly what I just said. Whenever I wrote it down, I wrote, teach us how to pray. But that's not what the Bible says, is it? if you look carefully, there's no how in that. They say, teach us to pray, not how to pray. And that's just a minor minor change. That's a minor detail, but it has huge ramifications, doesn't it? They're not asking for some form. They're not asking for some, some set list of things. This is how you pray. This is the form. This is the order. This is how you pray. They're saying, teach us To pray, teach us to be like you and how you're just completely consumed in prayer. How can we get that kind of passion? See, these guys, these guys likely knew how to pray already. These were Jewish men. Many of them had probably prayed or heard people praying from the time they were born. These guys knew what prayer sounded like. They knew how to pray. My guess is a lot of their prayer lives feel like ours weak and kind of superficial, like we're going through the motions. So they come to Jesus and they say, teach us to pray. Like, how do you pray like you pray as often as you pray? How are you so consumed in prayer? How do I actually do that? So to make this clear, I want my kids aren't in here now, so I can talk about them. Um, <clears throat> I think about my kids whenever I think about this. Now, I, I'm, I'm turning into more and more of a dad every 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 day, it seems like, like, You all know my kids, they get older and older, and I feel like I have to say that dad thing over and over again. Um, And you all know those dadisms that every dad uses. Well, as I get older, I get more and more irritated that my kids don't know how to turn off a light. You all ever experience that? Like, turn your lights off? I remember as a kid, my dad riding me up and down the stairs, like, turn the light off. You walk out of a room, flip the switch. It's not difficult. So I'm at that stage with my kids now, where it's just, turn the light off. But here's the thing. I don't have to teach my kids how to turn a light off. They know how to flip the switch. They know how to do that. They come into this room. They know how to press the buttons on the wall to make the lights come on. They know what to do. But that's not the trick. The trick is teaching them to turn the lights off. Oh, my daughter is in here. Oh, man, I didn't see her. She was hiding. So now I'm embarrassing my daughter. Okay. Well, anyway, the trick isn't teaching them how to do something. It's teaching them to do something. And that's what the disciples are trying to learn here. They're not trying to learn how to do it, like here's the order pray this, then this, then this. And once you're done with that, then you've said a good prayer. That's not what they're asking. They're saying, teach us to pray. And that is incredibly different. So different. They want to be imitators of Jesus, they want to become like him in the way that he's fervently praying all the time. How do we do that? Teach us to pray. And that's what Paul talks about. He talks about being imitators in Ephesians 5.1. He says, therefore, be intent, or imitators of God as dearly loved children. And that's what these guys wanted. They just wanted to be more like Jesus in the way he was devoted to prayer. Just like the child who wants to imitate their father, he says. And I find it interesting that that's what they're asking. They're asking for this kind of imitation, like teach us to pray like you pray, Jesus. Teach us to be like you. And then Jesus, as he starts teaching them to pray, he says in verse 2, he says, whenever you pray, say, Father. I found that really interesting. They're wanting to imitate him as, of course, he's their rabbi, he's their teacher. So, of course, they want to be like him in that respect. But he says, whenever you pray, say, Father. Now, he's assuming that they will pray. But if we want to have a prayer life like Jesus, we need to realize that God is our Father, is our father. If you want to have the prayer life like Jesus had, we need to realize that Jesus is our father. Now, this word, this word isn't the word that we often talk about in 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 church. A lot of times we like to talk about whenever it says father, it's like it's it's abba, right? Abba, uh, where it's like it's close to the word daddy, that's, this is a different word. This is, the, this is the Greek word pater, which actually means um, it's a more general term for a progenitor. So it's like my, my biological father, like he, he's the one who, who gave, gave me life. Okay, that's the way that this term is being used here. And I think he uses this, actually I know he uses this term very deliberately. I don't think it's by accident, it's just, okay, well, I didn't know what else to say, so I just said this. No, I think he knew exactly what he was doing when he said this. Here, he is pointing to the Father as the one in whose image we are made, the one who created us, the one who sustains us, the one who desires to be intimate with us, to know us, to create us, to make us, to sustain us. And certainly, certainly it brings that image of a dad to mind, yes, but I think he's doing something a little bit different here. See, because I don't have a problem talking to my dad. I know he's been through the things I've been through. I know that he knows what's going on. I have no issues talking to my dad. I have no issues saying, Dad, could you help me with this? Could you teach me how to do this? Why? Because I know he knows. I have no problems going to him to ask because he knows. So he says, When you pray, realize that you are going to the God who loves you and cares for you. Not only that, though, he created you and he knows what you need. He's your creator. He's your, your sustainer. He's the one. And that's the God that you are going to. So prayer here, we find, is a faithful imitation of Jesus in which we personally interact with God, with the Father, the one who knows. Second thing we learn about prayer here is that prayer expresses a desire for God's will and a dependence on him for our needs. Prayer expresses a desire for God's will and a dependence on him for our needs. So this is what it's actually expressing. Like, this is what we're saying, is we're... Just saying, God, we want more of you, and we depend on you for our needs. That's what we're expressing in prayer. Um, I actually went back to see how this word was comprised, the the etymology of this word, um, of this word that we have that says pray. What does that actually mean? What does this word represent? Okay, we all know it means that you close your eyes, and you bow your head, you fold your hands, um, unless you're driving, and then you don't have to close your eyes. But otherwise, that's what prayer is, right? Well, kind of. But what does the word mean? Well, in the Greek, it's actually a compound word. It's this word prosyukomai. um, And that's a really fun word to say because you kind of got to get that flimmy sound. It's actually prosyukomai, um, but nobody likes that in a microphone. So I shouldn't have done that. But prosyukomai, um, which literally it, it means to exchange wishes or desires. That's what these words that are smashed together mean. It's to exchange wishes or exchange desires. That's what these words represent. So, basically, what what this passage here says, it says that Jesus, he was exchanging wishes in a certain place. Then his disciples come to him and say, Lord, teach us to exchange wishes. And then Jesus says, whenever you exchange wishes, say this. You are exchanging wishes. So what we do whenever we pray is we are actually going to God and saying, God, here are my desires, here are my wishes, here are my wants, here's what I think I need, and we're giving it to God, and we're picking up what he desires and what he wants and what he needs. What he desires for us and in us and through us, that's what we're picking up on as we lay down our requests. Y'all see how that's different than the way we usually view prayer? That's what the word itself means. We're exchanging our desires for his desires, our wants for his wants. And the way this comes out is in praise to God. Now, I'm not going to say that there is one form that you have to pray, because I don't think that's the point of this passage. And I'm not smart enough to tell you that anyway. But the way that we see this play out is he starts out with praise. He says, you want to pray the way that I pray? Well, start with praise. Praise God for who he is. Praise him for who he is. So he says, Father, your name be honored as holy in many translations, I know probably your translation, it says, says hallowed, right? But I don't know what a hallowed is, so I like your name be honored as holy. Your name be honored as holy. But that's literally what it means. It means to honor something as holy, that's set apart as fundamentally different. So what he's saying, as he says, pray in this way, pray like this. He's saying, Father, let, you, let your name be set apart completely different from everything else. You are higher than everything else. You are better than everything else. Let us recognize that you are different. And that's what we're we're declaring as we pray. If we take time to pray, we're saying, God, we recognize that you are completely different from anything that we experience here on earth. You are higher than everything. You actually have the power to enact change. You can do something that we can't do. And we are acknowledging that in prayer, saying, God, your name be set apart as holy. And the name, the name here is important, like saying your name is important. It doesn't just mean, well, the term by which we know you, that's to be honored as holy. It's bigger than that. By saying name, Jesus is saying everything that is called by your name, let that be set apart. Everything that is called by that name. I thought about it like this, okay? Y'all, we like our potlucks here, right? Okay. Yes. Yes, we like potlucks. Food is good. Um, I could go on, but I'm not going to. Um, We like our potlucks, but every time, every time before we go down to eat, almost every time, what do we do? We pray, and there's a line in there almost every time when somebody prays, they always say, bless the hands that prepared it, right? Y'all ever notice that? We pray for these meals, like, God, thank you for the food. We pray that you would bless the hands that prepared it. Am I saying that, Lord, I only want you, those people who prepared that food, I only want you to bless their hands. Don't worry about the rest of them, just their hands, like, their hands are awesome because that's the part that makes food. No, don't worry about their head or their heart or their legs. Like, just their hands. That's all good. That's sufficient. Of course not. We pray for the doctor's hands to be guided. Are we really saying, well, Lord, that surgeon, we just want their hands. We don't care about whether or not their legs give out. No, we're praying for the entirety of that person. We're just using a part of that to represent that. And that's what, the, that's what he's saying. He's saying, Father, your name be honored as holy. We're saying every part of you, God, is fundamentally different. Let it be fundamentally different in our minds. You are so much higher. Let us recognize who you are. And that's what we're saying in prayer. Everything about God is superior to anything that we know or experience here on earth. It's so much higher, so much, more, so much better. And if you realize this, when you realize this is who God is, your prayers will change. You know that? I, I believe that. Your prayers will change whenever you realize that when you go to God in prayer... You are going to the God who is fundamentally different from anything that you could possibly fathom. So much better than anything that you could fathom. That he is God and that you are man. That he is the creator and you're the one who's the supplicant. You're coming to him. If you want to see your prayer life change, well, Jesus says, realize, realize that this father who loves you is also the creator who spoke the universe into existence. Like, he loves you, yes. Yes, he loves you. He's the father who knows what you need. Yeah, go to him like that. But also realize that he is the God who created all things. So, he says praise. We see the praise for God. Then we see a desire for his kingdom above our own good. Um, And I think that this offers a proper perspective that helps us a little bit. Um, Before Jesus ever asked for anything for himself, he asked for God's kingdom to come. Now, we're going to get to needs here in just a minute, how we bring them to God in prayer, okay? That's all well and good. We're going to get to that in just a minute. But before he ever asks God for anything for himself, Jesus says, your kingdom come. And this is part of that exchange of wishes, Right? He's going to bring his wants and his desires, but what he's saying is, God, give me your wants and your desires. Let your kingdom come here. And if we look at the way Jesus teaches about the kingdom, it makes it even that more, that more emphatic. Like, God, let your kingdom come. He saw this kingdom coming as not a physical kingdom, but the spiritual kingdom where we see people's hearts and lives change. And he says, God, let your kingdom come. In other words, he's saying, God, change me. And he didn't just say it, then he demonstrated it. Like, that that was his biggest desire for God's kingdom to come. Just a perfect example of this, and this is the one that I, I think will change a few opinions on prayer also, and just bringing your wishes instead of picking up on God's, is Luke chapter 22. Jesus here is getting ready to go to the cross, and he's praying in the garden beforehand. And in Luke twenty-two forty-two, Jesus prays this. He says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus, here, this is like the greatest exchange of wishes ever. Jesus is saying, "Of course, I want to be spared." He actually prays that if there is another way, God would spare him. But not my will, not what I want. God, give me what you want. Let your kingdom come above my physical well-being, above my goodness. Charles Spurgeon on this this passage in Luke uh, Luke twenty two, he said that he. He that taught us this prayer used it himself in the most unrestricted sense. When the bloody sweat stood on his face and all the fear and trembling of a man in anguish were upon him, he did not dispute the decree of the Father, but bowed his head and cried, Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Like, that's different. You want to realize how to pray like Jesus, I think we need to realize that it's not about just getting what we want, but it's about asking God to change us. Like, God, let what you will be done. See, a lot of times I like to pray for people to get better, right? We like to pray for that. And that's fine. We're going to get to that in a minute. I promise. There's nothing wrong with that. But a lot of times I say, God, here's what I want, and I want it now. Right? We often pray that. But what we're doing whenever we come to God, we're saying, God, more important than my physical well-being, more important than my wealth, more important than my prosperity, God, is your kingdom coming here on earth. That is more important than anything that I know, anything that I experience. God, let your kingdom come above any of my, my wishes, above anything else. God, let your kingdom come. And that's what Jesus demonstrates for him here, is a desire for the kingdom. And then he does. He gets into physical needs. Of course he does. He prays for physical needs. He says, give us each day our daily bread. And there is nothing wrong with asking God for provision in the day-to-day events of life. Now, I, you know, some people say maybe that's not wrong. I don't know. We'll talk about that later. But what we see Jesus demonstrate here is day-to-day provision. Jesus saying, provide what I need. And Jesus doesn't only, only say it's okay. He encourages it here. He uses it as a way to teach his disciples to pray. Because when you realize that you need, you need God for your day-to-day provision, that will change the way you pray. You want to know how to have the prayer life like Jesus does? Realize that you need God for your daily provision, like for the breath in your lungs, for the food on your table. See, I think we struggle with this in in America. I I really think we struggle with this. And now, understand, I'm I'm not trying to say it's a bad thing that we have so much in America. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm very thankful that I've never had to worry about where my next meal's coming from. I'm very thankful for that very thankful for all of the good things that we have. However, I think we miss this a lot of times because we, we almost think, well, of course that's going to be there. These people understood what it meant to go hungry. And there are people around the world who know what it means to go hungry. And whenever you realize that, whenever you experience like, I may not get to eat tomorrow if God doesn't make a way. That changes the way that you pray. So I'm not saying that it's bad that we are (laughs) well-fed. That's not the point. But what we need to do is recognize that apart from God, we don't don't have that. And not only do we not have that, we don't have breath in our lungs. We don't have everything that we need for our day-to-day provision. So we need to be going to God asking for that. And by the way, that assumes that you would be praying daily also. So pray for physical needs, but then we also pray for spiritual needs. Spiritual needs. Notice in verse 4, he shifts and he says, forgive us. Forgive us of our sins. Forgive us of our sins. So we pray for our own personal forgiveness. Because we know, we know, if you've been going through this 2-7 series with us, as many of you have, we know 1 John 1 9 is true. 1 John 1 9 says um, it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's 1 John 1 9. It promises that if we confess our sins, God will forgive us of our sins. But I think it's interesting here that in the second part of verse 4, here in Luke 11, he ties this to the way that we forgive others. Uh, Y'all catch that? I think that's interesting. Are y'all forgiving people? I hope you are. I hope you are because we find that in a way that's connected to God's forgiveness of us, right? Forgive us our sins, but it's connected to the way that we forgive others. And the, where my mind went was the, this parable that is, that's found over in Matthew's account um, of the Gospels where, where Jesus, Jesus uh, tells this parable of this unforgiving servant. Um, some of you are familiar with this parable. Some of you may be hearing about this for the first time. But what happens is this king, this king calls in his servants who owe him money. And he basically says, you know what, I'm going to settle all of my accounts. I want what you owe me now. So this servant comes in, and it says that he owes a lot of money. Basically, um, what it is is it's about 16 years' wages. Some said 20 years, so anywhere from 15 to 20, we'll call it like that, okay? 15 to 20 years' worth of wages. I don't know about y'all, but if somebody called me and said, I need you to pay me 15 to 20 years of your wages right now today, I don't know that I could do that. Actually, I know I couldn't do that. And if you can, that's a rarity. Like 15 to 20 years of your wages right now. So, of course, this guy says, I can't. I don't have that money. I can't do it. And the king, the king is going to make sure he pays for it. So he says, you know what? You're going to have to do this. So this servant falls down before him and he begs for forgiveness. And the king says, you know what? Okay, fine. I forgive your debt. All of it. 16 years worth of wages. Just get up, go. You're free. You don't owe me a dime. I forgive all of your debt. So this servant then goes back home, goes to his house. And he says, you know what? My servants owe me some money. I'm going to collect on what they owe me. So he calls in his servants. And this one servant owes him, it says, 100 denarii, which is about 100 days' wages. Okay, so he calls him in. He says, I want my money. And the servant says, I can't. I don't have it. So this first servant, whose servant owes him 100 denarii, starts choking his servant. Starts choking him. This guy was just forgiven 16 years' worth of wages. And now his servant, who owes him about a third of a year's wages, he's beating him down, saying, you have to pay me every cent right now. Now, do you hear the problem with that? Do you hear that? I hope you do, because it's pretty thick. So, the king, of course, who was owed 16 years' wages, calls in his servant and he says, I can't believe you did that. How dense are you? You're going to pay me back every single dime. And it actually says, it actually says over in Matthew's account, it says that that first servant was handed over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay everything that he owed. And the point of this passage here with prayer, As Jesus says, forgive us as we also forgive those who are indebted to us. What he's saying here is he says, when you're forgiven as such a great debt, it makes it a whole lot easier to forgive those who owe a debt to you. You all hear that? Like, forgive those because, man, you know how much you've been forgiven of? Do you know how much you owed God? You couldn't ever pay that debt. Ever. Like, I don't think we understand how big infinity is. Actually, I know we don't understand how big infinity is because it never ends. That's how big our debt to God is. We are infinitely short of his standard. And sin puts us that far short. Any sin. God is infinitely holy. So one sin against an infinitely holy God means that we are infinitely short. It never ends. Never ends. And God forgave that debt. God forgave that debt. So can you forgive the person who owes a debt to you? not talking your finances, okay, get that out of your mind, but somebody who has wronged you, can you forgive them? Because Jesus clearly connects the two, clearly connects the two, forgiving your brother and realizing what you've been forgiven of. And if you wanna pray for people, you wanna pray for God to change you spiritually, a good place to start would be to recognize how much you've been forgiven of. Realize the forgiveness God has given you and forgive those around you, even as you pray. And then notice with this spiritual provision, he says, do not bring us into temptation. Now, inevitably trials in life are going to come. That's going to happen. They're unavoidable. But when we those do come, we trust that God's ultimately going to work them for our good. But trust me, you'll get plenty of trouble on your own. You don't have to go looking for it. So Jesus here teaches his disciples, well, realize that you're not begging for the trial to come. Like, pray that God would keep the temptation from you. But trust that when it does come, again, 2-7 series, 1 Corinthians ten thirteen is true. No temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity. God is faithful. With every temptation, he will also provide a way out so that you may be able to bear it. That's what we're trusting as we go through these trials. So, prayer is a faithful imitation of Jesus in which we personally interact with the Father. Prayer expresses desire for God's will and dependence on him for our daily needs. But what does it really require? What does prayer require of us? Prayer requires a boldness toward God and perseverance with God. Boldness toward God and perseverance with God. You get to verse 5, and we see this shift because there's this funny story of this man going to his friend's house. And we're going to do a little bit of a cultural analysis here just because it helps us understand what's going on in this, in this text. So we get to this funny story. And the first thing we need to know is that hospitality was incredibly important in this culture. Like it was paramount. It was the biggest thing. Not being hospitable, one scholar said, would bring shame on your entire family. Like the community would shame you if you were not hospitable to a friend. This was incredibly important in this culture. So this friend, he comes to this host and the host welcomes him in just like he's supposed to, but there's a problem. This host doesn't have anything to feed his friend. Doesn't have his doesn't have any bread. Doesn't have a thing. And bread was only made weekly. It was made once a week, and they would have enough week, uh, bread for the week, and they would have it with every meal. So, not having bread was a real problem. It was a real problem. You don't have anything to feed your guests, like, then you're being a bad host, and then you got shame coming on your family. Okay, what do you do? So, when his friend arrives late, he says, Okay, well, I got to find some bread. I have a friend. I have a friend just down the street here. I'm going to go down to his house, I'm going to ask him for bread. Um, I actually loved it. I listened to a sermon on this text from a professor at Southwestern Seminary um, named Stephen Smith. Um, So, yes, congratulations. Um, I listened to this professor preach on this, and he called this guy a midnight friend. And I love this. I love this picture of a midnight friend. Because anything that your midnight friend has, you also have. Y'all have friends like that? I love this picture. Like, you know that any time of day, no matter what's going on, you can call this friend, and they've got your back. That's what he starts talking about, about this midnight friend. Um, Unfortunately, that's not the exact picture we get with this friend, is it? Not quite. This shameless friend who's hosting his guest, he goes and he knocks at his friend's door in the middle of the night, to which his sleeping friend says, get out of here. Like, what are you doing? Are you thinking clearly? Because, again, in this culture, we have to understand how the house was arranged, The house wouldn't have been like our houses where we have these nice separate rooms. And by the way, please don't come knocking on my door in the middle of the night. Because if you wake my kids up, I'm probably not going to be thrilled. Text me first, please. Um, Thanks, God, for technology. But he goes to his friend's house. And these houses would have been arranged in such a way that they they were all one big room. One big room. And on the, then you would have this raised platform with a ladder going up to it. And on this raised platform is where the family would sleep. The whole family on one platform. You'd kind of have these pallets laid out. And that's where the family would sleep. All in this one room. And then down below this raised platform is where your livestock would stay. So literally kind of living in a barn here. But you got this livestock down here, you got all your animals down here, you've got the family sleeping upstairs, husband, wife, kids, the whole 9 yards all sleeping on this upper level. So, when this friend comes and starts knocking at the door, if this guy was to get up and get the bread for his friend, not only is he going to not only is he going to have to wake up, he's going to wake his wife up, he's going to wake his kids up, he's going to wake the livestock up, and then once the dog starts barking, he's never going to stop, and before you know it, the whole town's awake because these neighbors are awful. That's what this guy's wrestling with right now. Like, okay, those of you in the room who are married, you know that whenever, whatever you do, you don't wake your wife up when she's sleeping. And even if you have to wake your wife up, okay, do not wake the baby up. Because then nobody's going back to sleep, right? This guy's wrestling with this right now. They're all in the same room. There's no getting around it. So this guy, he said, get out of here. What are you doing? I'm going to wake everybody up if I do that. I like what one scholar said. He said that this was the equivalent of saying, get off my lawn. Yeah. Yeah. But notice what Jesus says in verse 8. Verse 8. He says, even though he won't get up, he won't get up and give him anything because he's a friend, yet because of his friend's shameless boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. Prayer requires that kind of boldness. Like, I know what this means for you and your family, but I need you. Like, I need help. It requires that kind of boldness. And I think that the reason we often get little answers to prayer is because we pray weak prayers. We don't go to God boldly. We go to God and we pray almost like, well, God, if it's not too inconvenient for you, could you do this? Jesus says, no, no, no. Go like this friend and go boldly. Boldly. So it requires this boldness, but it also requires perseverance. Perseverance. Many of us are familiar with verse 9, right? Ask, seek, knock, right? You've all heard these things before. Most of you have anyway. But what I found interesting is, um, we got to talk about this in the sound booth this morning just a little bit, was the, the, the part of speech that these verbs are in. These commands are in the second person present imperative, which means that they aren't just do this once and move on. These actually indicate an ongoing action continually ask, continually seek, continually knock. We should be doing this over and over and over again, persevering in this. It indicates this kind of ongoing action. So not only do I think we often pray weak prayers, I think we pray something once, then we forget to pray about it again, and we just move on like, okay, well, I prayed for it, so now I'm covered. No, 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 go and pray and pray and pray and pray. You pray for your lost friend, don't pray for them once, pray for them again and again and again, day after day saying, God, reveal yourself to them. Like over and over, go in as God, ongoing. So we see that prayer requires boldness toward God with a perseverance with God. But prayer, but what does prayer actually do? What does it actually do? I know I'm running up against time, so stay with me for just a minute. Here's what prayer does. Prayer often results in our change and always results in our blessing. That's, that's what prayer does, and I'll explain what I mean by that. Not only does Jesus say, ask and it will be given, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. Not only does he do that, but he shows here that this perseverance isn't in, he's, he's not saying persevere and just nag God till he finally gives in. That's not what he's saying. Like my kids will sit in the back seat and say, daddy, 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 daddy. Y'all ever had that? No, I'm all alone. Okay, so my kids are the only ones to do that. Okay. But it's this ongoing action. And the reason we do this isn't to nag God into giving us what we want. That's not the point. The point isn't just to wear God down until he finally gives in. Instead, perseverance, I believe, changes us more than it changes God. Persevering in something changes us more than it changes God. If you don't believe me, just, just think about this for a minute. What if you got everything you asked for the first time you prayed for it? Where would you be right now? Would y'all be sitting in this room right now? Probably not. Probably not. I know I wouldn't be. Um, I think about this. If I got the first thing that I prayed for anytime, first of all, my height would be fluctuating anywhere between six foot four and seven foot four, depending on how old I was whenever I prayed the prayer. Okay, so I'd be somewhere in that range, depending on when I prayed it. I'd be a three-sport all-star, playing in the NBA, MLB, and playing in the NFL all simultaneously. By the way, and it would not affect my body at all. I'd be in perfect shape, like perfect condition. My knees would not be going out yet. Um, So that would be the way I'd be at. I I don't know how many times I would have been married and divorced because, I mean, if I can only have one wife at a time, I don't know how many girls I prayed for before I met my lovely wife and actually started dating her. Um, I don't know how many girls I said, well, God, could you just, like, are you kidding me? I don't know how many wives I'd have. It would be in awful shape. And by the way, whenever I was a kid, I would have had a new bike about every week. So what if you got what you prayed for, first time you prayed for it every time? Would that be good for you? No, it wouldn't be. See, the truth is, prayer should cause me to bend more to the will of God than it does cause God to bend to the will of Jared. Fill in your name. That's the purpose. Perseverance is is shaping us. It's changing us. Now, certainly we have a role to play in shaping history through prayer. I absolutely believe that God answers prayers. Um, I actually heard someone say once that prayer is the vehicle that God uses to move his sovereignty. Like, I thought that was pretty cool. Prayer is the way that God moves his sovereignty. But I do I do believe, I believe prayer really affects real change, not only in the world around us, but also in us. So prayer isn't just some passive thing that we're doing, like hoping that God eventually shows us what he's doing. No, no, we are doing something real. But I do believe that perseverance in prayer will change your life. It will change your life. And then we get this analogy of the Father here at the end, this analogy of the Father in verse 11 and 12. And it says, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I thought that last line was worth talking about just briefly at least. How much more will your father in heaven give you the Holy Spirit? How much more? Look, God is not some grumpy old miser. That's not what he is. He's not not supposed to be this friend. It's actually set in opposition to this friend at midnight who's sitting here saying, get off my lawn. He's set in opposition. Like, how much does God want to give you good things? Like, he's just waiting for you to come so he can bless you. He's not some grumpy old miser who has to be worn down. He wants to give good gifts to his children. I mean, think about your kids. Don't you all want to give good things to your kids? I want my kids to be happy. I want my kids to have good things. Uh, Of course I want that for my kids. I know you all do too. And what he says is, God's like that, only better. Like, if you know how to do that and you have, your heart is evil. Your heart is evil. How much more does God know how to give good gifts to his kids? That's an awesome truth that God is waiting to give to you willingly and freely and to bless you. Now I also think it's interesting that this comparison's made. Whenever you start thinking, like, do you give your kids everything they think they want? <laughs> nope, not a chance. My kids are constantly disappointed. Uh, Dad's not giving me what I want. Well, it's because if I gave you what you want, it wouldn't necessarily be good for you. That would be terrible parenting, wouldn't it? Like give your kids whatever they want, whenever they want it. Of course not. You give them what they need. You want to bless your kids. You want to give them what they need. And sometimes kids actually think they want something that's going to turn out to hurt them. But God knows better. He knows how to give good gifts. And the reason I say uh, that prayer always results in blessing is because the Father wants to give you the Holy Spirit. He's not promising to give you anything else that you ask for, but He says He will give you the Holy Spirit. There's no condition added there. He wants to give you the Holy Spirit. Better than what you think you need, God says, I'll give you more of myself. I'll give you more of me. You can know me more. I'll draw closer to you. And what Jesus is teaching here is that if you want to have a robust prayer life, if you want to have the passionate prayer life like Jesus had, where he was consumed with prayer, realize that God is going to give you more and more of himself the more and more you go to him. He's going to give more of himself. When you pray, you get the opportunity to encounter the God of the universe, the one who created you, the one who spoke his life into you, the one who sustains you. You get to know more and more of him. That's a pretty awesome answer to prayer. So what? Well, do you have a fulfilled prayer life like Jesus did? Do you have a fulfilled prayer life like Jesus did? I ask myself this question often, like, why is my prayer life so weak? So then I I started thinking about this this week. Before I pray, am I recognizing God's greatness? Am I making him preeminent in my life very first? Am I expressing a dependence on him for my daily needs, both physical and spiritual? Am I going to him boldly? Am I persevering in my requests? Like, am I I praying the way that Jesus taught his disciples to pray? Not, Not the form, but I'm talking about the passion with the mindset, with the heart that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Am I going to God that way? And I would ask you the same question. Are you going to God like Jesus taught his disciples to go to God? Are you praying like that? See, Jesus doesn't just go and say, here are the form, the mechanics. Here's the words that you have to say. Recite this prayer. I actually find it interesting that Matthew says, whenever you pray, pray like this or in this manner. He doesn't say, pray these exact words. I'm not saying there's anything inherently wrong with that. I'm just saying that that's not what he's getting at. See? Some will tell you that there is a right and a wrong way to pray. um, Or some will actually tell you that there is no wrong way to pray. And I I struggle with the no wrong way to pray just a little bit. (laughs) We can talk about that later, though. Um, But the purpose is just pray. Like, that's what Jesus is teaching them. Like, know who God is and pray. Trust that he's going to work. Trust that he's going to move. I want to urge you. To pray. We could go on a discussion about the posture, the structure, the words, the length, and so on, and so on, and so on. But I, I remember hearing a preacher say once, um, I remember hearing him say once that the best way to pray is to just pray. Best way to pray is to just pray. A lot of you guys know John Schoonover. One of the, my favorite things to hear him say is, you know what the hardest thing about praying is? Praying. Pray. Just pray. Fall on God. Please, go and ask God to teach you to pray. Now, I don't think that there's a right and a wrong way necessarily to do that, but I think we need to pray and we need to recognize who God is, that he has the means to answer our prayers, that he's going to give us more and more of himself when we come to him. So let's persevere and let's be bold in our prayers. Let's do that now. Heavenly Father, God, we come to you and we recognize your greatness. Lord, we recognize you for who you are, that you are the the ultimate progenitor, the ultimate creator, the one who formed us out of the dust, the one who put his breath in our lungs. God, we thank you. We thank you for who you are. Lord, I pray that we would would recognize that you are so fundamentally different from anything that we know or experience, any power or presence that we experience here on this earth, that you are completely different, that you are perfectly holy, that you are above us. God, we come to you saying that you are God and we are man and we love you for loving us. God, we pray that your kingdom would come. Lord, we pray that we would, above all things, above, above our own physical well-being, above, above our, our needs within our families, with our friends, God, we pray that you would be known, that your kingdom would become, that you would draw near to us, God, we pray that you would come. Lord, we pray, we pray that you would provide for us. Lord, we thank you for doing so in the past, and we trust you to do so moving forward, God. So I pray that today you would give us our daily needs and we would recognize that those gifts come from you. Lord, we pray for forgiveness of our sins, Lord, and we know that you are faithful and righteous to forgive us. So, Lord, I pray that you would forgive my sins today. Lord, as you do every day. Lord, help us to forgive those around us who have wronged us. Lord, don't let us be caught in bitterness, but instead I pray that you would cleanse us from that. Lord, and keep us from temptation. Keep us from the evil one. Lord, we know that you are good and that you are faithful, Lord, so we pray that you would move. And I pray that as we, as we close the service, as we come to an end of our time together this morning, Lord, I pray that you would change our hearts to match your heart. Father, teach us, teach us to pray. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.